welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian, excited to get started on this because we got a lot of questions here, Brian, that have already come in. Anything you want to start with before we dive into them? Well, I would just start with this. During planting season, we just really encourage you be safe on the farm. One of the things our dad talked to us about growing up and the reason why we didn't go 24-7 was because he was just so worried about safety all the time. So there were many farm jobs that were a little riskier. He just would not allow us to do as kids. And I'm like, come on, let me do this. Nope, nope, you don't get to do it. And then Again, coming back to this 24-7 thing, he would just say, nope, we're calling her quits every night at 9 p.m. I don't care. I know we could finish up, but I I mean, now granted, I'm not saying occasionally we didn't push it because, well, there's a big storm coming tomorrow and we could finish by midnight. Okay, fine. But most of the time, I mean, we're just, we're done at a set time. So that way we can at least get a fairly decent night's sleep and we're not I'll put it this way. If you're tired, then pretty soon you start to cut corners, it seems like. And we can't have corners cut when it comes to safety. So just we'd really encourage you, just take a little extra time, be safe on the farm, be safe going down the road. I mean, that's always got to be number one is your safety. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, this one came in from Fran. Does adding lime and gypsum nearly simultaneously simultaneously have any negatives? Would that increase the speed of correction to the soil, or is there a max to calcium applications to existing plants? My my, uh, application here is on turf. Okay, so in terms of putting both lime and gypsum out at the same time, there are lots of people who have done that. Now, is there a limit to how much calcium you want to throw out there at any one time? I will just say we don't know for sure in your situation. But one of the foremost experts on soil fertility in the world, his name is Neil Kinsey, and we occasionally have him on the show here, he has said many times to us, 2,400 pounds of actual calcium is the most I ever like to see. Again, this is Neil's words. Because if you start getting more than that, then you have more tie-up of things like iron, for example. So you have to be a little bit careful about what you do. So that is not 2,400 pounds of gypsum. That is not 2,400 pounds of lime. That's 2,400 pounds of actual calcium, the element calcium. So you can run the equation there. So that would be our, our, our figure that's on a per acre basis. Okay, so just divide it out 43,550 or 560 square feet, and then you can figure out what the limit would be if you were talking a certain number of square feet. Since, since this wouldn't be in a field application, most likely, I mean, maybe it is, I don't know, you know, with turf, if you're talking big amounts or small, whatever. But the point is, yes, you probably can overdo it a little bit. 
All right, thanks for the question. Uh, we were talking about riparian areas. Scott just throws in a comment. He said, uh, the good thing about riparian areas, not, not only is it a good practice, but he says now the government will pay you a contractual amount if you install it. So more people should be considering that. Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of those things where there are some program dollars available for certain practices, and, and you can certainly talk to your, your NRCS people about that. There are. I'm just always going to caution people, though. He, he used the word contract and government in the same sentence. <laughs> okay. I, I saw a quote the other day. It was Ronald Reagan. And, and like the scariest word should ever be or should always be, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. All right. So I'm always a little bit leery about those things. We've, as much as we can, have tried to tried to avoid some of those things. We've never even entered into like, like a CRP contract or anything like that. Because I just don't know if I want my partner to be the government for a long period of time. But but yes, I mean, there, there are dollars out there that can absolutely help you. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, make sure you read the fine print. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into before you do. All right. I get a question that came in from Claire who says, I've got a question for you for soil soil sampling. Can I get an accurate soil test? I've already plowed or worked the fields. Whether you've plowed or tilled in any way the fields, that really shouldn't have a major impact on your soil test. So we're not too worried about that other than, let me just throw this one statement out. If you've really fluffed the ground up and what was six inches before is now six and a half or something like that or seven, then you got to keep that in mind a little bit because when you're, you're, you're going down to pull your, your sample core, if you don't get as low as you should have or whatever, that could throw off your numbers just slightly, but I don't really see any big problem. Where we do get a little concerned is if you've already applied fertilizer, and especially if you've already banded fertilizer, because now how are you going to do that sample just right and get the actual figure and everything? But no, tillage doesn't concern us a tremendous amount. It's just, in our experience, a lot easier to drive out there, pull the cores and everything else prior to tillage. So that's typically what we try to do on our farm. All right. Thanks for that question. We really appreciate that. Uh, get this one in from Landon. He said, how much zinc can I really have per acre? When does it, what level in the soil does it become problematic? One of the biggest things that we've seen, because we've been pulling lots of soil tests and comparing that to yield data, and I mean lots of tests. So it's been really interesting, very educational. But what we found with zinc is it's very much tied to phosphorus. Now, we'd heard that before, and there are a lot of people that say those kind of things, but they often don't have numbers to back it up. We now do. And at least with the samples we're running, where we're at is... 8 to 1, 10 to 1, phosphorus to zinc. And it, certainly it depends on the type of phosphorus test and the type of zinc test you're running. But I, I would say I'm not so worried about zinc on its own, but I am worried about that phosphorus to zinc ratio. And the other thing you got to keep in mind, it's easy to pull phosphorus down because crops take lots of phosphorus out of the soil. They only take a little bit of zinc. So if you get your zinc at 100 parts per million, let's say, well, it might take you 100 years to get that pulled down to a decent level. So be careful with that. We usually don't like exceeding 10 to 20 parts per million on zinc. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Two by two by two systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake. Both sides of the row, three inches from the seed, 
and just three quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit. In stock and ready to ship. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD here in the Morton studio. And wouldn't you know it, we got a nutrient question already. we got Keith out in Illinois, wants to talk manganese. Keith, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. All right, so you're, you're probably picking the right nutrient here because there have been a lot of discussions in this studio off air about manganese. What What's your thought on this one? Well, to be honest with you, that's what I was trying to think I was calling to get out of you because I, I was using uh, using the DTPA test through uh, through Midwest, and I've since got with my co-op, and they're going to do a little bit more of my testing and as far as pulling them goes, and I've switched labs, and they are using the Malik 3. And I guess I haven't heard all of your discussions about, you know, what, you're, what you guys have developed and is it of an opinion as far as yep. switching hey, those tests and where a guy ought to be. There's one thing I'll throw out here too. And it, when you're working with, with companies, some companies say, well, I'll send it to whatever lab you want. And other ones are really comfortable with a certain lab. We have no issue with Midwest labs. You mentioned Midwest labs, DTPA test. We're using our Malik three sure, tests through sure. Midwest labs. And I, I don't know that there's a huge difference. Wait, you use but, the comment, our Malik three test. We yeah, are using I'm, the yes, Midwest yes. labs. Our Malik farm. We're using yes. like 3 tests through Midwest Labs. But yes. any, anyway, sure. so like 3 test with manganese versus the DTPA and so forth. Uh, Brian, you want to talk about maybe why we switched and, and what we were seeing? Because, yeah. Keith, you're probably seeing the same thing. Yeah, so with the DTPA, the problem has been the lower the soil pH, the higher the DTPA test reads. And it doesn't matter if I put 100 pounds of manganese sulfate out on that field the year or two before that or if I put zero on. I'm seeing similar level. Now, I'm not going to say it isn't a little bit higher when I put some on, but it's like, oh my goodness, I should have all kinds of manganese out there, and it's not showing up on the test. Even when the soil pH is 6.5 or something that we would consider ideal. 
So we, we switch to the Malik 3 test, and then it's giving us what we feel, our actual readings, so we know what's really in that field. So no, we, we just don't put, we don't have a lot of faith in the Malik, or I should say in the DTPA test for manganese. We just don't like it. We like the Malik 3. It, it feels like it's, it's actually giving us a number. So a lot of times now we're looking at 50 parts per million, 100, and some of our fields we have 150 parts per million now. And on the DTPA, it was showing us three parts per million. Well, that's a big difference. Yeah. That's a really big difference. So I, I guess that's what I would tell you if you want to run DTPA tests for anybody listening. If you want to run DTPA tests on every other nutrient, I don't care. And we've been able to tie yield to the DTPA test result, and we can show correlation for applications and everything else. And it's it, it appears like, hey, this is legit. But the manganese, we couldn't. We could never tie yield to manganese level. High, low, didn't matter. Well, now we can with the Malik 3. So that just shows me, all right, now this is starting to make sense. So I'd say if you want to run DTPN, everything, go ahead. But just at least for that one nutrient manganese, run Malik 3. But quite frankly, we are fine with running a Malik 3 test on all nutrients. It's just the the levels may be a little bit different what you're looking for what you're shooting for sure so that that being said do you have an opinion developed of of what kind of a range you might be looking at for manganese in that malic 3 test yep um we're we're typically now saying for manganese we'd like to see at least 50 parts per million and this is for a higher yield level uh but I what I I I'm not exactly sure long term. Like let's say we're going for 300 bushel corn because we don't have any fields today averaging 300. We have some fields averaging 250, and it looks like 50 is probably kind of the cutoff for us. We got to get to 50 or somewhere around there. It's close enough. But I, I'm always a believer in well, let's try pushing it and let's see let's see about 100 and see what we can do. I'm not seeing that we're gaining a whole lot by getting to 100, if anything. So 50 parts per million is kind of our level. Okay. Um, last question then. I am getting ready to put on nitrogen and sulfur on my wheat yep. for my second shot. Yep. Do you have any problems with me blending, say, 10 pounds of, of product per acre of manganese sulfate with that? Uh, none that I can really think of. Now, how are you applying this exactly? Is this stream bars? You spraying it over the stream, top? Stream bar. Okay. Yeah. Stream bar. Yeah. Absolutely. So, nope, we don't have any problem with okay. that at all. Okay. 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 Well, Bill, that was that was pretty much the gist of my question. All right. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for calling in, Keith. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your time. You bet. Thanks. Let's head over to Wisconsin next. We got Joe on with us right now. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. So what's happening on your farm? You guys in the field yet, or is next week going to be go time? Well, we're hoping next week is go time, but uh, not a lot of sun in the forecast, so uh, not much for soil warming. Uh, not not as much rain next week, but uh, just doesn't look good for soil temps. Well, based on what's happening here, I'm betting you're going to see some wind coming the next few days your way. Yes, yeah, we've. Uh, it looks like very windy the next couple of days, and uh, there again, I've got spraying I could do, but uh, too windy for that. What are you going to be spraying next? You putting pre's out there or burn down chemicals? No, I'm gonna. I've got a couple of farms that I didn't put pre's on. A lot of the stuff I put uh, farms, I'd put some uh, 
fall burn down on last fall to take care of the winter annuals. So that's going to buy me some time and nothing's greening up there yet. So I'm hoping I can get uh, another 30 days out of that before I have to spray that and get away with that one pass is what I'm hoping. But uh, some other farms I had some giant rags on and uh, they're tough to control anytime, but uh, I figure my best shot here is to get some freeze on and then uh, come back later. So, Hey, that fall spraying, yeah, Joe, that's something we get a lot of questions about. There's a lot of farmers that we talk to with winter annuals, and we suggest fall spraying. Now, a lot of times they're asking the question in the spring, and Brandon and I say, you know, the best time to get those is in the fall. And they feel like we're kind of kicking the can down the road that, come on, guys, just give me an answer right now. And we can come up with an answer of, of what could work now. But, man, we just have really seen better control in the fall. Have you been doing that for a long time? And what are some of your keys that you look for to be successful with that? I haven't done a lot of it in the past, but what I have done, I've had very good luck with. Uh, but what I was seeing last fall, we got our beans off early, and a lot of dandelions were coming up, starting to green up. So I felt the best time to take care of them was in the fall and any other uh, any other winter annual that's out there, too. Um, and some, I did try some dual on too just to see if it'll hold back some of the water hemp and some of the stuff and so far it's looking very good so awesome i'm planning on doing more of that this fall sure sure now i i know i, I think i'm remembering right that we've talked about doing some rye for cover crop those kinds of things have you seen that work pretty well too for keeping those winter annuals down i've kind of gotten away from the cover crop Simply because uh, the biggest reason, keeping the soils cool in the spring. I went more to a vertical till in the fall to get the crop broke down and uh, and help warm up in the spring. You know, we're far enough north where I feel the uh, warmer soils outweigh the uh, benefits of the cover crop at this point. Yeah, there's just always pros and cons with almost anything that we do in farming, and and you're right. You got to figure out if it, the same thing that works for another guy uh, in a different geography might not be the best for you. Uh, now, going into this season, you mentioned uh, getting these fall or these winter annuals taken care of, getting some pre's out there with corn and soybeans. Are you going up in acres with either of those crops this year? Or are you kind of sticking to your normal rotation? I always try to stick to the normal rotation and try not to outguess the market or other times. Uh, so I had had everything prepaid for what I'm laying on this year. So my, I'm sticking with my original plans. Yeah, it's you're right. It's hard to outguess that, Brian. I think Brian was talking about this uh, earlier, just saying, man, if we could outguess these markets, uh, we wouldn't have to do it very many times, and we could be done farming real quick. But uh, yeah, it's a roller coaster, no doubt about that. Well, Joe, thank you so much. Uh, speaking of roller coasters, the weather you've been getting has certainly been one. Hopefully, it straightens out for you next week, and you can get rolling. Hopefully, yeah, uh, that's kind uh, of what <laughs> planners are ready to go. So. We just need the weather to cooperate. Yep. Well, hopefully it does, Joe. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. 
That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Farmers across the country are raving about Germinator closing wheels. Paul from New York says, I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more Germinator success stories, visit farmshopmfg.com. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today on a Farmer Friday, where we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, we talk about uh, acre shifts and those kinds of things. Well, when we get a year like this, and there's a lot of opportunity with some different crops, I think the acres that, that I'm always watching are, are acres in central South Dakota, acres up in North Dakota, where where guys can raise a number of different crops successfully and have for many years. Our next guest, Tom, is farming in central South Dakota. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, what do you see for yeah, this I'd, year for I'd guys like in your area? Yeah, it's it's not been easy because uh, we're faced with droughty conditions and uh, not knowing what to do as far as purchasing inputs last fall. Uh, we pretty much stay with our rotation, but we do have a few acres that we decided to pull out of wheat 
uh, and looking to fill them in with crops and really don't know which choice to make yet today. And there's still people putting spring wheat in. So I guess it's not too late for that. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, and that's one thing that's been interesting just talking to uh, uh, different people that I, I speak with. They're like, what? Guys are still switching acres around? Yeah. The markets are moving every day. Supplies are, uh, in some cases, tough to get, even seed and, and fertilizer. What are you finding in your area? Is it is it tough to find some of those things? Do you still have access to everything? So you're just kind of watching markets? Yeah, you know, sure, there might be a little glitch here and there, but for the most part, our our uh, suppliers have done a good job of filling their needs. Uh, I haven't really heard of anything major short out there. There's options to fill in chemistries and stuff like that. But my big concern is going into next year because we are such a rotational type uh, farming practice out here with no-till what do we do to set up next year and and uh we don't want to tilt the scale too heavy one way for this year and then be paying for it next year and so actually as i was sitting here listening to your program i was looking at all right if expenses went up you know uh and we could get somewhat of the same prices for commodities we had to pay a, a third more for inputs uh where would we be at and and surprisingly there's some crops like corn and sunflowers out here that will will come in and cover our costs but i it's going to be tough on wheat yeah yeah it sure could be no doubt about that and that's that's not what people around the world want to hear they want to hear oh man don't worry about it we got it covered we got tons and tons of wheat acres but you're right the economics on some of these crops are, are pretty good talk to us about sunflowers you mentioned we got kind of droughty conditions is that your best go-to option when we are a little dry well, it's it's one of those crops that we have to manage real well with rotation. They could, we don't want to go sunflowers on sunflowers. Uh, I think a soybean grower can get away with that if they got the moisture. We don't want to do that out out here uh, because there's such a deep taproot that they can uh, go deep and take moisture out and nutrients that bring back up those nutrients that we've gotten away from some of those shallow rooted crops. But we like to rotate them out four or five years from themselves just for long-term longevity of the crop. And they are our best best cash crop out here. A lot of times as good, if not better, than corn. Um, we are faced with a new dilemma with a loss of Lorsman and a few other chemistries for controlling seed weevils during bloom time. Uh, our populations of seed weevils have grown immensely in central South Dakota, and uh, there's getting to be a concern of whether or not we're going to be able to control those in this summer and future years. You know, when you think about the timing of that application too, it's not like it's just, well, we just got to spray one time. It's pretty specific, isn't it? What do you, what do you target for a seed weevil timing? Well, generally in the past, it's always been, they had to feed on uh, pollen for about four days before they could lay eggs in the flower every seed is a flower not the head itself but every seed is a flower and uh it seems like they're they're earlier and earlier every year and uh so we're looking at the bloom time and the count of weevil per head and uh and then we got to be johnny on the spot try to spray early in the day because of bees and pollinators and and yada 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 
Yeah, you're right. If you're spraying something at flowering time, that there there are a lot of other things you got to consider around it besides just I got to get rid of this this one problem that we've got. Uh, Tom, you mentioned the drought. How long has it been going on in your part of the country? Well, we had some good fall rains, but uh, I think the Pier Airport has only shown in the past four months less than seventy five hundredths of moisture, snow, and and rainfall. Um, so we are very lacking. We may have had a couple little showers. I know a lot of spring wheat fields that have been planted, only 30 to 40% have emerged. And that brings me to my question for you guys in your crystal ball. Do we go and put corn into dry, cold soil and let it sit there and germinate on its own? Or do we wait for the ideal timing? Or what do you suggest? What we always talk about, Tom, is we look at the calendar, number one, and number two, and you have to have both for us anyway. Uh, Number two, the soil's got to be fit. So as long as the soil's fit and we are, are past the first plant date for crop insurance, we're good to go. So like on our farm, we've had soil temps in the 40s here most of this week. I mean, not 100% of the time, but most of this week. And we've been, we're already about 25% done with our corn planting. So we're fine with that as long as you make sure that there's a good seed treatment on there. And we do take extra steps. So we're putting insecticide on, we're doing fungicide on most of our stuff. We're, we're trying to make sure that we're giving the, the seed the best possible chance. We've had corn seeds sit in the ground, this is no joke, for six weeks before emergence in the past. I'm not saying I love that. I'm not saying I would like to do that even, but sometimes that's just the way it goes. We're in a cold environment. And we're hoping for some warm weather to come through, but we also have to get our work done. And we know that for us anyway, delayed planting means lower yield. So everybody obviously gets to make their own choice when when they farm, but we just like to see the the seed planted earlier. That's typically when we gain the best yields. But you got to make sure you have, number one, a good cold germ score on the test. So you can't just have a good warm germination percentage with your seed. It's got to be good cold germ. And then, like I say, you can take some of these other steps like really good seed treatment and, and other things. So you said uh, in the low 40s, yep. is that when you pull, pull the trigger? Okay. Now, let, let me just give you an example from, I think this is two days ago. The soil temp that morning, and I told our guys, hey, I want you to go out and plant. That morning, it read 33 degrees. And so South Dakota State University has a weather station on our farm, and it has a soil temp measurement at four inches. Okay, so not two inches at four. It started at 33 degrees in the morning. It got to 51 degrees that same day. And this is what we see very commonly is that soil temp variation. So when people have said, oh, your soil temp's got to be 50, did they ever say, well, that's constant 50 throughout the day? Is that hitting a high of 50? Is that hitting a low of 50? I've never honestly heard one thing or the other. I'm just throwing this out there that we see tremendous variance. And we've had this weather station on our farm for quite a few years now. I see this all the time. So that's why when people go, oh, it's too cold right now. I'm like, well, you put the corn in the ground. I mean, we have like this weekend, today and tomorrow, we're talking 75 degrees here. So I wasn't too worried about soil temperature in just a couple of days. You know what I mean? Sure. And and I guess that's the thing. We got a couple thousand acres to get in the ground <laughs> yep. if we don't get going. Yep. When we'll pass 
past prime time. What our dad always used to talk about is he said, okay, don't think about you're starting too early or anything like that. I, what, you, what I always want you to think about is when are you going to end? So he said, if you start one day earlier, that means you finish one day earlier. Well, just think about, and granted, we didn't have the equipment uh, back then that we do today. But he's like, man, if you don't start now, you're going to finish really late. And I think we all know if you finish that late, you're in trouble. So that's I, I, that's always stuck with me that, boy, we got to get going. And here's the other thing. And we have this every single year. Our guys on the farm do a great job, but there's always something that comes up. We get started and they go, oh, I had this problem. And day one, we never do as many acres as we do day three. So I'm always pushing them. Let's at least get day one over with, and then we're able to roll when things are really good. Hey, Tom, it's been great talking to you. Thanks a lot for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold the answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide. The latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. 
Learn more at caseih.com slash pharma. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. That means our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD all throughout the show. If you have an agronomic question or if you just want to chat a little bit about what's happening on your farm, uh, give us a call. Let's head up to British Columbia. we got John with us right now. John, how's it going up in BC? Oh, just uh, waiting between the rain showers to get started this spring. Okay. Very good. What, what will be the first thing that happens in the field as soon as it dries out for you? Um, well, we're, 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 we're gambling today. We actually went out with the plow and the disc a little bit on some ground and we did cut a little bit of uh, early winter forage crop today. So we have about uh, 36 hours of dry weather forecasted and we're going to make the most of that. Yeah. They don't give you big windows up there sometimes. No. So, you know, when you, you think about the valleys that you farm through, uh, trying to get stuff done, is this normal? I mean, are 36 hour windows, um, is that kind of the way you do things? Uh, we, if we have to start out, we are pushing it. We're still early. Um, we don't have the most amount of patience always. So I'd like to get, like to get a little bit, you know, get the rust off things and then, and, and make some passes and make sure things are running. So, uh, starting out and then hopefully we get a break in the next 10 days and then we can, you know, we get a, a bigger window, five, six, seven days in a row that we can really get, get moving on stuff. So now you mentioned winter forage. What particular crops are you cutting? So we um, ryegrass over the winter and winter wheat. Okay. Both, both for forage, both harvested early for forage crops for dairy cattle. Is there is there a target growth stage or or size of the plants that you're looking for before you start doing this, or is it more we need some feed, we need to get going? Um, so we're we're in the double crop. Well, we're on the edge of double crop. So we use a winter forage, and we want to get our corn silage in. So um, trying to usually late April, early May, we want to be harvesting the winter forage crops and then uh, applying all our manure at, and getting our corn in the ground as quickly as we can. So it's kind of more of a calendar thing than it is maybe exactly waiting for the crop to be exactly where you would maybe like it to be. Now I know with corn silage, a lot of guys will say they need to leave it uh, to ensile 120 days or more. Do you have kind of a feeling on that? And, and then also what about these winter forages? Do they need some time or do you just feed them right up fresh? Um, ideally the longer, the better. Yeah. We, um, 2020 was a, was a good crop year. So we had carryover, uh, 21 in our area was a drought through the summer. So this, this fall, we won't be, we'll be into new, new corn or 2022 corn this coming fall. We won't have, it won't have as much in silent time as maybe we'd particularly like, but, um, you know, when the bunker's empty, we have to start the new, new crops. All right, so we have a lot of debates about corn silage and planting population. What do you guys like up there for population? Do you like high population compared to anyone that'd be raising it for grain, or do you like kind of about the same population? What What do you like to do? Uh, in the low 30s is what we usually plant. So we have tried a little bit of different population, but we usually stick into the 33, 34,000. So, so probably not too far off what you do if you're just raising straight grain corn. Uh, probably, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And the corn silage harvest for you, is that around early September or when does that usually get ready? Yeah, so we'll aim for mid, mid-September mid to be starting to harvest. Um, and then again, it's it's a race to finish corn harvest and get the um, winter forage crop planted right behind that. 
with a with a manure application in between again. So oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I know what <laughs> so you we mean. don't. It's a it's, it's a lot of farm. We do a a lot of it's it's a lot of work we pile on in the spring and then a lot again in the fall. So we're we're trying to harvest a crop and plant a crop always at the same time. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and I, I know we're doing some uh, some spring manure. Normally, we're just doing manure from the the dairy that's right next to us. So we like to do that in the fall. Norm, but this year we're doing some in the spring. And fortunately, soil conditions are dry enough. We're getting it done. We haven't had the rain delays like you've had. But uh, but you add rain or snow or anything like that to the mix, and the the windows get awful tight. Yeah, no. When it's go time, it's go time. So. Make the, most, make the most of the, the dry weather. All right. So this year, going into this spring here, what are you most excited about? Are there are there any things you're changing or anything you're trying a little different? Did you end up getting the strip till or are you doing any of that? Uh, no, we aren't going to. I did. We did look at it when we were up uh, at the Morton Center, the one you guys had parked next door there. I Just with um, travel restrictions, I think maybe next year might be more of an opportunity to get um, some of the reps out. I know I, I spoke with them last year and they couldn't, you know, nobody could move around very freely. So it's starting to, you know, things are opening up better this year for travel, but we'll try to maybe, um, maybe a goal for next year that we can work on a little bit more, uh, favorably, I guess, with, with moving around and moving equipment and people around to set them up. So, yeah, that'll, that'll be, it'll be a good thing. It'll be nice to get back a little closer to normal for sure. Yeah. Well, Jen, so great. Other news. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Nope. Oh, yeah, for this year, just adding uh, more irrigation. And so that's probably our biggest change. Um, you know, we're in a very wet climate, but unfortunately, almost that rains all through the winter months. So uh, we can dry right out in July and August. So we want to add adding irrigation to our, those forage crops and, and see where we can take our yields to. Yeah, that, that'll be a, a nice change. And, of course, you know what's going to happen. That means last year was dry, so now it's going to be wet. That's <laughs> that's what happens when you add irrigation. But if that's what it costs, uh, a lot of guys yeah. have said the best thing about an irrigator is if you never have to use it, then it's been a great investment for you. So, so if, we, if we leave it in the barn all summer and it rains, I'm perfectly fine with that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, John, great talking to you here. Good luck to you as you, you wrap up harvest here and get started into planting. All right, thank you. Let's head down to Kentucky. We got Wesley on with us right now. How's it going, Wesley? Good. How y'all doing? Pretty good. How does the wheat crop look? We've had a lot of questions about that. Just curious what you're seeing out there. Uh, it it varies, <laughs> especially on my farm. Got some that looks really good, and then some that's had a hard time. We just had a had a lot of rain on it, and uh, the early stuff looks really really good. And but what I no-tilled later in the season, it just seemed like um, both shots of nitrogen we put on it just kind of, kind of ran out and uh, seemed it doesn't not as green and kind of still kind of yellow. But we just had a substantial amount of rain this spring. Goodness, yeah, you can't outguess it. That's for sure. I, I know we had a caller on yesterday who was talking about sulfur too. He said he he was the sulfur head had left and that that was leading to a lot of his challenges too. So I don't know if you, do you look at sulfur also? Is that one that you guys are, are really working on addressing or, or changing what you've done over the years? Uh, well, I've just now recently started grid sampling. Uh, oh, awesome. samples. Yeah. And, uh, I, it, it's a lot of work and kind of, and a little expensive, but I really, really like it. Um, and so I've just now started looking at, um, but it's probably been a few years 
uh, those micronutrients like sulfur and boron and magnesium and all that zinc and copper. Uh, so I'm slowly trying to get things in in level with each other and bring some some levels up that uh, we need to. But it's just kind of a slow process. <laughs> Yeah, an expensive one too. I know it's not it's not cheap, right. but uh, okay. So we have a lot of our listeners that are are probably in the same boat as you. They they hadn't done uh, soil testing really as intensively as as they're considering doing. What would you say the big takeaway you've had from that? Is it variability throughout the fields? Is it that you may have a different issue than than what you thought was a yield limiting factor? Uh, what would be the biggest one for you? Uh, probably the variability variability throughout the field especially on uh on lime i uh i gotta say one of the, my best corn crop i've ever had i think i averaged 230 and it was it was last year uh no i'm sorry t- uh, 20 it was 2020 i guess was my best crop and that's when i was um doing the grid sampling and i found out only half the field needed a good bit of lime and the other half didn't so i put the lime exactly where it needed to go and um, I feel like that made one of the hugest difference in the, in my yields. Outstanding. Yeah, variable rate lime has been a big deal for us, too. I know we've found over the years we've we put too much on in places that didn't need it. It cost us money, and it ended up costing us yield, too. So glad glad you yeah. learned that ahead of time rather than end up like we did with over-investing in lime. Yeah. Well, Wesley, good luck to you here heading into this spring. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully things dry out just a little bit and and everything takes uh, off. And before before I get off here, I was going to ask, talking about wheat and you know with uh, all those other nutrients like sulfur and stuff. Is there any type of foliar feeding you can do on wheat to maybe oh, on some of those stuff? Yeah, I tell you what, Wesley, we're up against a break here, but we'll talk about foliar feeding and adding nutrients in crop on wheat coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. 
At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Yeah, I'm Wayne Bossman from down here by Parker, South Dakota, and I was very impressed how they came up quicker, and they're just going to look like a better stand, and just greener, and just a little taller all, all year dry as it was. I think they really made a difference. Really looking forward to using them this year. See more of what our fans are saying and order today for spring delivery at farmshopmfg.com. Fight today's resistant weeds and prevent those of tomorrow. University trials and grower use proves that adding Tough IVC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds, such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough IVC is a selective, contact herbicide that synergizes with HPBD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough IVC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, we got just a little bit of time left today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. So right before the break, we were talking to Wesley from Kentucky, and he just asked about foliar feeding in wheat. So, Wesley, I would just say, first of all, our general comments on foliar feeding will start this way. Foliar feeding, I kind of look at it as a Band-Aid approach. You can get a, a few nutrients in that will take care of your plant for a very short amount of time, but it's also pretty weather dependent. So in other words, if your plant is under stress, the so like for us, for example, we don't get rainfall super often where we farm. So sometimes the plants are not responding very well because they're too dry or it's too hot or something like that. So it's harder to get nutrients into the plant if it seems to us. We've we've done research on foliar feeding for a lot of years. We can get some response. We just don't get amazing responses. So we would prefer to see you fix the soil. That's typically where we get the best return on investment. So did you have any other specific questions about that? Uh, no, no. And I, I know that the fertility in the ground is the best way to go. But yeah, I was just kind of looking for a Band-Aid approach yep. this year anyways, because uh, I wasn't. I just wasn't able to get what I needed in the ground last yes. fall, and then the spring's been so wet. Um, so I didn't even know. I, and I thought about just doing some test strips. Yep. Uh, yep. With adding some. Yes. Some uh, extra fertilizer. Yep. Well, here here's the other thing. I, I I feel like on the farm and as a farmer, we should always base our decisions on number one, what's right agronomically, and number two, what's right economically. So it's great to say, oh, we can do this and it'll increase our yield. But you know what? If it doesn't increase our profit, um, that, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Well, this year, I look at the wheat market right, and yeah. I just say, I know it's high right now and maybe it's topped out. Okay. I, that, that could be, and I could be dead wrong, but personally, I think it's going up. And so when I think about a wheat crop this year, I go, ooh, I got a lot of potential to capitalize on this thing. And yes, fertilizer is high priced, but 
I, I don't mind investing some dollars because I think the potential is so good on that other side. So of all years, this would probably be the year that I'd say, look, if I'm getting some decent moisture and I think my plants could be receptive to this and I, I know that my soil is short to hit my yield goal because things look good, I'm going to boost it a little bit. So I'm going to probably do right. a, a little bit of nitrogen later on in the year, either stream barred or maybe a little foliar with a bunch of water. I might consider doing some uh, some micronutrient blend or something else that you feel you're short on. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, we definitely do not want to short our crops on anything this year because we've got the chance to, I'll just use the term, hit the home run here. Let's make some money for this year. And so then we can survive right. those tough years that sooner or later going to come up again uh get put a little cash in the bank right right i agree all right well hey wesley been great talking to you today thanks a lot and good luck this year thanks y'all too yep let's head over to illinois get randy on with us right now uh randy thanks for joining us from uh from sunny and calm wind uh illinois right <laughs> something like that <laughs> uh, maybe that's wishful it, thinking it, yeah, well, I say it's a little hazy and it's it's a little breezy here today. So, but it's it, it's at least warm, so we're going to at least take that as a good sign. You bet. Has much happened in the field yet? Your way? A lot of planting done yet? No. Um, in the immediate area, there's basically nothing. You get I don't know. There's a select. I can count on one hand the number of planters that have put a little bit of beans in. Um, but that's basically it really hasn't even been much in the way of any sprayers that have run. It's, um, not a whole lot has happened anywhere. So. Yeah. It's all going to happen in a real hurry. As soon as this weather straightens it, 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 out. It is. It's, uh, I'm, I'm a precision planning dealer as well as farm. And I know it's just all going to hit all at once and it's just going to be awesome. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Hey, talk to us since you mentioned precision planting and and just doing all the fine tuning work on planters to get the most out of them. Uh, as guys get started rolling in the field, what would you say? What are what are some of your real key tips that guys should be watching for? Um, you know, make sure your monitors are up to date. That you've gone through and tested everything. You know that uh, that everything is communicating and talking, and you know. Go do that now before and not first day of planting. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's that's a fun one to do too. Right, right. <laughs> no, I know. I see why people put yeah. some of that stuff off, but by the same token, oh my goodness, is that frustrating when you just really want to roll. Right, right, exactly. It's like I was talking to a customer yesterday. It's like, yeah, we really didn't have any hooked planner on yet, you know, weather hasn't been very conducive and like don't tell me that. But so, but no, it's, it's been a very good season for us and, um, you know, it's, yeah. And most all my guys are ready to go as far as I know, but we're, uh, I, I know that the weather's going to turn here eventually and it's all going to get really busy. It It is. Uh, have you seen, I know a lot of guys have talked about hydraulic downforce and, uh, and, and everybody's trying this out. And a lot of guys have said, man, I've had great returns. I made a lot more bushels, but there've been a few guys with problems. What, what would you say the watch outs are on that? Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it gives you the opportunity to, to do a really good job, but at the same time, it's, you can't just trust your monitor and, and this applies to everything, but 
you know, you still got to get out and dig and make sure that it's doing the job that you want it to. Um, you know, and the other thing that we've run into, myself included, is, well, you know, guys, they decided to go to narrow gauge wheels versus wide. Well, your footprint just got a lot smaller. Yeah. You, know, you can't leave your, your downforce setting the same because you're on two uh, thirds of the footprint as you were before. And so it's, um, but it, it can be, uh, it, it's a very good tool, but like anything else, it, it has to be managed properly. You're right. There's a lot of management that goes into all these things, and there have been a lot of exciting enhancements now on planters that makes it so much more fun. Brian was commenting today. He was watching a video online, and, uh, boy, there's a lot that happens in a tractor cab now. You look at all these monitors and everything else that's there. My goodness. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So it was 10 years ago. um, I was doing a a thing with Precision, and uh, we had hydraulic downforce on half the planter and and pneumatic downforce on the other half. Well, to make that work, we had two 2020s and two iPads. You know, basically, everything was duplicated in the cab. Yep. And I'd put a picture up and on Facebook, and basically, the right side of my cab is just monitors. <laughs> just gone. And one of my friends, and one of my friends who's an IT, you know, pretty fairly high up in an IT department at a college, and whatnot. He goes, "Remind me again why I'm the one they called the nerd." <laughs> you know, it was just. <laughs> Well, well, Brian was saying, uh, you know, even with all the monitors, everything going on, somebody was shooting a social media post at the same time. So it's like, okay, uh, it is nice that we have all these controls now. It's nice that uh, we got a lot of things that are looking out for us on the planner. But I, I love your tip, Randy. Don't just trust the monitors. Get out, do some digging, ground truth, everything you're doing this spring, because you only got one shot to try and do this right. Well, and hopefully you get your shot soon over in Illinois. I know the weather has been less than ideal, but but, uh, still appreciate talking to you, Randy. I know you're super busy, and really appreciate having you on. All right. Sounds good. Have a good day. You bet. You too. Uh, Brian, I had a question come in from Rodney. You said, guys, love the show. Uh, Listen to you every day as I'm, I'm doing stuff here out in the tractor. But I've got a question for you. We've had conflicting information that I've gotten from others about corn and what form of nitrogen it needs. I'm wondering, do you guys try to supply nitrate and ammonium forms of nitrogen? Is there a ratio that you're trying to get, or or do you actually need both of them? No, you don't need both of them. Corn prefers ammonium. It's going to convert nitrate over to ammonium inside the plant if it brings in nitrate. So it can bring in both, but it just takes a little more energy when it has to convert that nitrate over to ammonium. And this is from everything that I've learned over the years. So I'm no plant physiologist or anything, but this is what I have been told over the years. So I, I, I guess the concern here, too, with that nitrate piece is just the leaching, the loss. I don't want that. So as much as we can, we like to have ammonium forms of nitrogen. But you know what? If the crop is going to use nitrogen soon, then whatever. If it's nitrate, if it's ammonium, it's nitrogen, period, and I want it out there. We also, because of our heavy soils and low amount of rainfall, have a lot less concern with leaching than some other people do. But nevertheless, I mean, this is why, like, if you're going to be using some kind of nitrate form, we would encourage you to take a look at some of the stabilizers. They are really good. Well, thanks for listening to our program today, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.